do that work that we do every year as we pray through, think about uh, what our response will be and how God is calling us uh, to minister, to give, to witness uh, for the coming year, connecting with his mission and his kingdom work through our church. Now listen, that is a, that's a needed time, and it's right we do it every year, but especially this year. Last week I shared with you that I was concerned that I, I was sharing too many confessions at a time when we're about to set preacher salaries, and I said, well, y'all may just cut my salary because of all that, and I needed some help, maybe some coupons or whatever. Well, following the service, Eddie Ergel, the only one I might add, was nice enough to give me a dollar after the service. So I joked about that at the 1045 service. I said, listen, somebody help me with a dollar. And after I showed him the dollar, I set it down on one of the chairs on the platform and went about the sermon. After the service was over, I noticed somebody had taken that <laughs> dollar. Selling your soul for one dollar, Madison Methodist Church. Y'all need to hear this series about giving and stewardship, all right? But it's also what God routinely does with his people. I'm not going to preach through John 7. I did that a year and a half ago in May of 2018. Greek study, ex expository preaching. Go back to that sermon to hear what all's going on at this feast. But the feast itself is partly the point of what's going on here for our, for our series this week and for the weeks to come. God routinely, regularly, sets a time of preparation for his people. He routinely sets a time where his people gather for celebration, but they also gather to remember and to reflect. It's so important for us to build that into the life of our church, to build that into our own lives and have that time to pray, to think, to meditate, to ask God to consider what is it that he has for us this season. I want to do what John's gospel does, right? I'm excited about what God's doing in and through our church. There's so many new things that are happening. And so I just want to, as John's gospel shows in the life of Jesus and in the life of the Holy Spirit, they are always about the will, work, and words of the Father. This, this beautiful expression of, of two persons who are co-equal with the Father, and yet their lives are wrapped up. I only want to say what I hear him saying. I only want to do whatever is his work. I only want to be about whatever is his will. I want to jump in. I'm hoping you want to jump in. Let's do what, let's just jump into ministry. But the pattern you see in John 7, and really throughout, even though Jesus is critiquing some of that, the heart of it, the origin of it was for God's people to meet with his people and for God to speak anew about what his will is for their life, what his works will be through their lives, what his words will be that will be expressed in and through their lives. What is that over these weeks? It may be the same thing. It may be something less, maybe something more. It may be something that will stretch you. But God's people always gather in a season to say, Lord, what do you have for me now? Because he's always got something 
now. There's always a time of preparation of God with his people. Before Jesus launched his public ministry, it was just like God to send John the Baptist first. This, this day, which is alluding to our last verse, is pointing back. Pentecost hasn't happened yet, but the Holy Spirit leads him to say this is what he was talking about, that, that someday God will send the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Pentecost didn't just drop. But Jesus has been talking about the Spirit. That famous passage in John 14, I don't know if they even had their heads around it then. I, I know they didn't in John 7. All that imagery, though, Jesus has been preparing them over and over again. The Spirit is coming. I will not leave you as orphans. My Father will send an advocate to you. There's always a season first of preparation and before there's a fresh move of God. So we want, to take, we want to take that time over these weeks together to really reflect, to really pray, and to be open to whatever the Father's will, work, and words for us will be in the coming year. Okay? I love what John, uh, John Ed Matheson says in one of his books as he looks at stewardship. He says there's really three responses to this verse. When Jesus talks about Thirst. When we get to this passage and he's, he's talking about thirst, one of those responses John Ed says is, we know that God has more for us, that I'm thirsty, whether it's a time of struggle or just a time of, of seeing that I'm not, I'm not experiencing all he wants me to experience or I'm not, I'm not, I'm not jumping into all that he would have me jump into. There's, look, there's thirst on almost every page of John's gospel. It's a water gospel. And you hear, you hear people not only saying they're thirsty, even Jesus on his cross expresses that. But more often than not, when John talks about thirst, he's not talking about physical thirst. He's talking about a spiritual need, a spiritual desire. Many of us have, are coming, yes, we've tasted of God, but, but we know that there's something more. It's a spiritual desire. In John 14, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he shall never thirst. John 6, 35, he who believes in me shall never thirst. Here in John 7, 37, that end of that, that week-long celebration of that festival, every day the priest would come and pour out water. And then on the last day, at that moment when it had happened for seven days, Jesus stands up and says, who needs a drink? Who thirsts? Um, and so we come, many of us, to this season where we're talking about giving ourselves away and giving ourselves to God. And we confess, you know, there, there's still, there's a thirst in my life and sometimes sadly uh, we can put that burden on other people or on other things to, to 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 quench that thirst anybody ever see that movie castaway it's one of the great uh, 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 scenes in movie history of this of when tom hanks is desperately trying to open a coconut so he can get that little bit of coconut juice out of that and how long it takes him, throwing that thing against uh, a rock, uh, trying desperately to break it, all that work he finally does, and finally, I think using a skate, he finally breaks it up, and what happens with that juice? It just spills everywhere, and he just gets a little bit to taste. If we try to quench our thirst in people or in things of this world, 
we'll be left just like that. And unfortunately, what we end up doing, as God has said to us in Ecclesiastes, that he has placed his burden on us, what we'll end up doing is placing the burden of God on other people as we try to squeeze them to quench our thirst. We can do that with our work. Whatever vocation we've been called to, if it's in the workplace, if it's at home, whatever vocation God's called us to, we can warp that if that's the primary resource for quenching our thirst. We can do that to our spouses. We can ask our spouses to be Jesus for us, to put that burden on them. We can do that with our hobbies. We can do that uh, with our stuff and materialism. We can sadly even do that with our kids. Oh, the burden we put on them when we try to squeeze, literally, the life out of them for our lives. Or maybe it's in our own lusts or greed or self-medicating that we're just trying to quench that thirst in other ways. What Jesus reminds us here is that if you have a thirst, it's, it's found in him and it's found in the Father's will, work, and words. I've shared it before, so I won't share that whole section, but I love that part in Narnia when this young girl, Jill, goes to the lion who represents Jesus Christ, Aslan, and she is dying. She's dying of thirst. And there's a stream before her, but all of a sudden this lion shows up. Not fully understanding who he is, he begins to talk to her, and they talk back and forth. And she eventually uh, says to him, uh, I'm dying of thirst. Will you leave while I drink? And he says, no, I will not. And then she says, well, then I suppose I will go and find another stream. And he quickly says back to her, there is no other stream. It's in Christ that our hearts and our thirst find life. It's in him. So some of us may be at that point where we, we are, we're with him, but there's still that thirst of what he wants to do in us. And also we haven't stepped out to let him work through us. This can be a great season of him reminding you again that Jesus gives this call to all of us. I want to come into your hearts, or the word here is bellies, and I want to do something in you, and I want to do something through you, and I can do it. I'd love to pray with you about that. Now, some of you may say, I've been walking hand in hand with Jesus for years, and I've experienced and, and, and know the fullness of his filling. And scripture would say right back to you, oh, there's always more. There's always more. Ask Elijah and the widow. Ask the 5,000 or the 4,000 who were fed, and there was always more left over. Ask the disciples after catching fish after the resurrection. Ask the people of Pentecost. There is always more. But then this third reminder, and this is the worry for the preacher. Could it be that we're so busy doing things for God and keeping up with the multitude of responsibilities that we have that we have not done the work to pause and say, Lord, where is it you're wanting to fill my life? What are those areas of my life that I've been, I've been so frenetically paced that I haven't taken that time to say, I didn't know I even needed that. Or even also, what's that new work you have? I'm so busy doing what I've always done that, that I can't see how you want to work through me. Doctors will tell us that we, once we have a sense of thirst, 
we're already getting close to the point of hydration. We've been needing water for a long time before we actually feel it. Well, if we're so busy and we have our head down just being faithful and being loyal and not taking those times to say, Lord, what would you do in this season? To not have a time of talking with other believers and saying, what are you seeing in me? Or what do you think the Lord's calling me to do? If we're not having a time of being in the Christian disciplines of prayer and worship and study, we might miss what the Lord has for us. Because when the Lord comes, he'll, he'll, he'll speak to that thirst, but then dropping down to verse 38, he reminds us, and I'll, again, I draw you back to May 2018 for all that this means, belly and living water. But 38 reminds us that once we've had our thirst met in him, oh, there's so much that he wants to produce out of our lives. That water imagery would have meant so much to the people of God who heard that. We don't think about that, right? We just don't think about it. But for them, those terms of living water and rivers, that was huge imagery for them. You believe that? Living water and rivers with you? I mean, maybe Ben. But you? It's what our, it's what our God desires to do. That's his will. And his will always is that we get turned out to ministry. He does something in us. This is speaking of Pentecost that will come. The Spirit will come in, but eventually He's got to come out. If it's the Spirit, He's always self-giving. He's always other-centered. He's always about the words, work, and will of the Father working through you. That's one of the great glories of the Protestant Reformation, is this great reminder to the church that we are the church and we are the ministers, the priesthood of all believers. And, and, and it's a... It, in, in that movement that happened in the church at that time, it reminds us, too, not only are we all called to be a minister, but it's especially those who don't have the word minister or preacher on their business card. This culture is just tired of that. And to be honest, we don't need any more preachers. We barely get out on time as it is, all right? To students and to children, more people are saying yes at a younger age than at any other time. If you haven't said yes to Jesus by the time you're 18, those numbers continue to go down for the rest of a person's life. We're actually seeing a spike at 12, 13, or even younger. So children, our kids, and our students, you are the front lines of ministry, not preachers. S told you before, 66 to 75% of everybody who bows the knee to Jesus Christ does so because of a conversation with a business associate, a neighbor, a relative, uh, or a, um, I think it's a, um, one other, one other, you have to find that person for yourself. Um, <laughs> a friend. Less than 19% of people come to saving faith through the preaching of the gospel by a pastor. It's you. It's you. And so Jesus says, you got to come and have your thirst met in me. I'm going to send the Spirit. You've got to come, and that thirst has got to be met in me. But once your bellies have, once your heart has the residing Holy Spirit in you, that's got to come out. How will that be in this coming year? That the, the Holy Spirit will work through your gifts, through your niche, that he's specifically, specifically called you to be about for Christ's kingdom work. As a prayer warrior, as an inviter, as an evangelist, as a servant, somebody doing ministry through friendship, 
people are, whether they know it or not in our culture, they are thirsty. And to bump into people who have had their thirst quenched in Christ, not chasing after the things of this world, desperately trying to fill themselves, but, but to have an overabundance that they're not only full, that it's also coming out in their attitudes and in their serving and in their words and in their actions. What a ministry we are already having, but what ministry we can even continue to have. I talked to you last week about running red lights. I didn't realize what a burden that would be for me this week because I've had about four or five opportunities to run red lights this week. And every time I have slammed on the brakes because I just know one of y'all is going to be at the other side. <laughs> hypocrite! He talked about hypocrisy last week and look at that hypocrite. So I've been very careful, uh, very careful with how I drive. And y'all still need to work on it, by the way. I saw a lot, a lot more of it. But to be honest, you know who really frustrates me? I mean, obviously the red light runners do because that could be a, that could be a, that could be a, a horrible accident. So that's a concern. But really, you know who frustrates me more? It's not, it's not people that will not stop. It's people that will not go. You know who you are. Look, it's bad enough you're te- oh, I've got a few seconds. I'll do check up Facebook or shoot out a little text. It's no problem. And the light's green for two minutes. You're sitting there at a red light, and we've got these big, you know, big intersections in Madison. I know I've got a minute or two. Listen, it's not just that you're fumbling with the radio or sipping on coffee. Some of y'all, and I've seen it, you're putting on makeup at intersections, right? How do you go from this to going in a matter of seconds? It's a great frustration. Will you go? And here's the hard part. I can't honk at those people. Why? Because it's probably one of y'all. And then I'm going to hear about it. God has set in creation for the birds to fly south at winter. He has set seasons for harvest. And somewhere in the original Hebrew in Ecclesiastes, there's a season. When the light turns green, you go. I would also encourage that maybe you look left and right and if you could see that the next light has turned yellow and you know the normal order of green, yellow, and red, that maybe you could anticipate that you could be getting ready for that green light. So you've put things down, it's on yellow, okay, it may be my turn, right? John 7 is saying to the people of God then, but it says to us now, whether it's Passover, Feast of Tabernacles and Booze, or Pentecost, whatever that season is, God's constantly got his people looking left and right. Is it that season? What is it in the season? So as soon as the light is green, we go. We are, we are Pentecost people. The Spirit has come. The reality of John 7 is, as is stated at the end of our passage, verse 39, it's come. And out of that relationship, 
out of drinking in of Christ should come bellies that just spill out living water. The light on the other side is beyond yellow. The light is now green. How is it he's sending you to go? Now, before we get going, we're going to look first at that yellow light. We need that time of anticipation and preparation over these weeks to prayerfully consider, Lord, what do you have? For our church family, as our committees and teams are dealing with that, but for you, what do you want to do in me? How do I need to drink you in? What are those places? But then what do you have for me so that Christ might be glorified, that you may be made known? Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this, your word, for what it says to us of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he has offered himself to us, that we can freely take of him, that you're a God who sends his Holy Spirit to minister in us and through us. We thank you for that great word. Bless these weeks now as we seek to respond to your leading, to your calling. Holy Spirit, come. Guide us as we seek to honor Christ and to lift up uh, the kingdom of Jesus. It is in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Our